0: Hello and thank you for joining me on the Gibraltar Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Krishan Kubjand, and my guest today is the leader of the GSD, Daniel Featham. I thought it'd be best if I just got straight into it, so here it is. Hello, Mr. Featham, thank you for joining me on the show. I understand you're very busy with the election campaign and everything, but um, it's generally an honour to have you.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, I thought that we'd start off with some personal questions first, and I'd like to ask you, Why did you actually get into politics in the first place? And what drove you to become a politician or get involved in local politics? I've had an interest
1: in politics since I can remember. I used to follow my father around at Hustings. I used to follow my father around at um, uh, industrial actions because my father was a trade unionist. He led the general strike here in Gibraltar in 1972, 73. So I've always had a huge interest in politics. I was very involved in politics as well in the United Kingdom when I was a barrister in Manchester, a member of the Labour Party there. Uh, and so when I came back to Gibraltar, it uh, was a natural thing for me to do, to get involved in politics.
0: Well, your political career has now taken you so far. You're running for um, Chief Minister of Gibraltar. Tell us, why would you be or why do you feel that you would be a better Chief Minister than our current Chief Minister, Fabian Picardo? I think
1: that I'm a more thoughtful individual. I think that um, my approach is far more measured. My approach is far calmer. I don't take decisions uh, on the hoof or on the spur of the moment. I think about things very carefully. A successful Chief Minister of Gibraltar has always been able to manage our affairs in a way that keeps Gibraltar safe. Not that um, knows how to get Gibraltar out of trouble, but knows how not to get Gibraltar into trouble. And I think that Fabian unfortunately is the kind of individual that um, very often makes decisions without thinking. We have seen it uh, on this question of LNG, very poor preparation. We've seen it as well in some of his decisions in the way that he's approached our relations with Spain during his early years as chief minister. I'm glad that now actually he's approaching it in a much calmer, more intelligent way. But I think that on the whole, those are the reasons why I believe that I'd be a better chief minister than Fionn Pekano.
0: Well, on the topic of LNG, which is what you just mentioned, many experts have said that LNG is significantly cleaner and has a lower carbon footprint than diesel. What would the GSD be doing in terms of environmental policy to actually make up for that loss in um, or that gain in carbon footprint?
1: Well, I don't necessarily agree with the premise of your question. You see uh, environmentalists all over the world, they say... Think global, act local. And when you look at the extraction process for LNG, in particular the fracking process, that contributes to global warming in a much more uh, acute way than, in fact, diesel does. Um, so, yes, at the point at which it's burnt, at the point at which it's used, it's a more environmentally friendly, but by a fraction of an amount, because nowadays... Uh, diesel, you can install catalytic converters into power stations, you can install all sorts of modern technology which can reduce emissions by Dr. Cortez's own admission by 99.9%. Because you may recall that this particular power station that the government intends to build at the North Mole is a dual fire power station and for one month in a year will need to operate on diesel. And that's one of the worries of the Residents of water terraces, for example, and Mr Cortez has said, well, actually, don't worry, because it'll have all the modern technology and emissions will be reduced by 99.9%. So I don't necessarily agree with the premise of your question. I think that at the point of burning, there is a marginal difference. But when you take everything into account, actually, uh, LNG and the way that it's extracted is much more damaging to the environment. Well, look, we've got a number of very exciting policies. We... Uh, intend to use cooking oil, for example, in order to convert that into biodiesel, and then attempt to um, have some of our buses operate on that uh, biodiesel. We intend to use as well um, solar power and other types of renewable energy. We're very committed and we have a very clear plan in order to meet the EU requirements for having 20% renewable energy in uh, by the year, I think it is uh, 2019. So, you know, our plans are very defined in that respect. And and I think that you will find that they're very interesting when you read uh, uh, either our policy booklet or alternatively, the more detailed uh, parts of our policy on the environment that's on our website.
0: All right. So on environmental policy, do you think that the GSD would be more successful in combating climate change or reducing the effect of um, Gibraltar's potential issues with climate change? In the future
1: well I think that both parties have got policies in terms of in terms of the reduction of the carbon footprint I think both parties have got a commitment to renewables so in that respect if you look at the commitment of both parties I think it's fair to say that probably um, you know we are as equally committed to it as each other the debate in relation to power supply here in Gibraltar Is not being driven by some of these some of these concerns it's being driven by whether LNG is safe in the location that it's being located in other words so close to residential areas and you know I'm prepared to accept that it is uh, that 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 you can you can reduce risk to um, to a minimum you can reduce risk to a minimum And that in that respect, then, of course, um, you could say that LNG was safe. But actually, it's about consequence. It's not about risk. You may be able to reduce risk to a bare bare minimum, but if the consequences of an accident are catastrophic for the people living in the area, then we are not prepared to take that risk. And that is the the, the point of, of this particular debate. Because this power station is going to be used for the next 20 to 30 years. And you cannot exclude accidents from happening. And if the consequences, the potential consequences of such an accident are catastrophic, for the people living in this area, we're not prepared to take that risk.
0: Right. Well, another contentious issue has been finance. And I was wondering, how do you think that the GSD plan on cutting debt uh, as a whole?
1: Well we plan to we plan to first of all we're gonna to need to increase debt from nine hundred million pounds to over a billion pounds because debt at the moment is nine hundred million but we're going to have to build a power station and also a sewage plant at a cost of about £150 million to the taxpayer. The only way to do that is to borrow we will borrow directly. The government seeks to hide that debt by borrowing directly the Fulgible, the Savings Bank or some other form of mechanism. Over the next four years, we intend to reduce that debt to £700 million. And we're going to do that in a number of ways. But essentially, we're going to be using government surpluses. Last year, government surpluses were £50 million. And we are going to be reducing wastage and we're going to be stopping overspending within government departments. Government departments from the money allocated to it by parliament, in other words the budget allocated to it by parliament, have overspent by between 30 to £50 million a year over the last three years. It's an awful lot of overspending and we think that if we stop overspending, we stop wastage and we apply our surpluses towards the reduction of debt we can actually reduce that debt from over a billion, which it will be once we build the past digital sewer plant, to 700 million. And that is important because everybody knows that huge debt can lead to increases in taxation in the future. It's deferred taxation. And we have in Gibraltar a low tax model, both in terms of personal tax and corporate tax, and we want to keep it that way. And what we don't want is for that debt to get out of control. It is more than double, well, it, it, it depends how we analyse it, either in net terms or in, in gross terms, but it's roughly about double what it was at the last election, what Mr Picardo was basically saying, that our debt was too high, well, and that it exceeded legal borrowing limits. Well, if it was too high in 2011, imagine what it is when it's double that amount today.
0: Well, would this release would this result in a significantly smaller public sector in Gibraltar?
1: No, not necessarily. What it will stop is overspending within the public sector in Gibraltar. That's what we want to stop. We're not about austerity. We're about prudence. We're about reasonableness. We're about sustainability. What we want to do is prevent austerity in the future because we realise that if you continue to spend and you continue to borrow at these particular rates, then austerity becomes inevitable in the future because at some stage that debt is going to have to be repaid. And it's going to have to be repaid through income. And, you know, you can look at the experiences in other countries in Europe and what happens when debt goes out of control. When get, debt goes out of control, what you have is austerity that follows from that, and we want to prevent that.
0: So there won't be a reduction in the amount of government-owned companies as a whole in Gibraltar? No,
1: it's not, not to, nothing to do with, uh, with government-owned companies. What we want to do in terms of the particular government-owned companies, and particular Credit Finance Company Limited, that um, that has within it uh, 400 million pounds of savers money, which the government is spending uh, on, on its own projects and its own expenditure, in order to hide how much it is spending and how much it is borrowing. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to bring that 400 million pounds onto the accounts of the government to give a accurate reflection of what the public debt is. I mean, at the moment, we have a gross public debt of about £440 million, pounds, gross public debt. Yes. On top of that, we then have £400 million that the Gibraltar Savings Bank has transferred to a company called Credit Finance, which is a government-owned company run by civil servants. And that money is being spent on government projects and government expenditure and loans to third parties on instruction of the government. And on top of that, you also have about £50 million that the Gibraltar Savings Bank has spent on the purchase of GIP Telecom shares, which you may recall Mr Picardo said had been purchased by the government. Even he is confused about, you know, uh, the Gibraltar Savings Bank in what capacity the Gibraltar Savings Bank is buying, is, uh, uh, is buying these assets and also a company called 11 million is in a company called um, GSBA Limited all that is expenditure of the government and we say all that should be reflected in the books of the government remember that post Greece every single country has been moving towards greater transparency in the public finances in particular in debt and is taking debt away from off-balance sheet, hidden debt, and onto the, 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 the books of the, of the government. The United Kingdom, for example, all debts of government-owned companies uh, are considered public debt, and also any debts of the equivalent of the Gibraltar Savings Bank in the United Kingdom is also public debt. We should be moving in exactly the same direction so that people can then have a proper debate about the context in which we can properly spend money, because you see the, the importance of this is this: if the debt is 400 million or 400 net debt is 418 million, as Mr. Picardo says it is, it's true. The direct government debt is 418 million. Well then maybe you could say, well, I can spend a little bit more of money. Yes. But if our debt is 900 million pounds, as I say it is, then, of course, you've got to be prudent in the amount of money that you can spend. And you've got to be prudent in the amount of money that you can borrow on top of that. Because, as I say, after we built the power station and the sewage plant, we're over a billion in public debt.
0: Well, the GSLP Liberals' um, justification for this is that they're saying that past GSD governments have used a similar mechanism when it comes to financing their ventures as well. What do you say to that?
1: Not true. Not true. We have never uh, used the money of the Gibraltar Savings Bank in order to fund uh, our expenditure. And indeed, we could not have done so because in March of, up to March of 2012, the Gibraltar Savings Bank Act provided that all the money in the Gibraltar Savings Bank could only be invested in cash or cash equivalents as far as their capital, as far as protection of their capital value is concerned. That means very safe forms of investment, for example, UK Treasury gilts, where the yield is very low, but the money is there, it's readily accessible, and it's very safe. Mr Picardo brought an amendment to the Act in March of 2012 to do away with that and allow the government to invest the money of the Gibraltar Savings Bank in whatever they wanted. That's the only reason why it's possible to do what the government is doing with credit finance, and that's the only reason why, effectively, the government is able to use the Gibraltar Savings Bank as its unaccountable credit card.
0: So does the um, Gibraltar Savings Bank's balance sheet not get published um, for public scrutiny or for parliamentary scrutiny? The Gibraltar
1: Savings Bank uh, balance sheet is published. What is not published is where that £400 million in credit finance is invested. And that is particularly important because... The role of an opposition is to spot emerging financial problems and to try and stop them and hold the government to account before they give rise to a serious solvency problem for this community. Now, if you've got £400 million, that's an awful lot of money. That's yes. double the £418 million that Mr. Bikavar says we owe in net debt. Well, if you, you don't know how that money is being invested. You don't know what risk the government is taking with, savers' money in relation to that 400 million, you don't know um, what potential solvency problems could arise in the future. And that's the the problem. This money is invested or or, or is placed behind an impenetrable curtain. And the the opposition just cannot see how the money is being invested.
0: So this goes back to democratic reforms as well?
1: Yes, I think that it is part of... it, It is... Um, a part of the democratic reform agenda. Uh, we need to, as I say, be moving in the same direction as every other country in Europe, which is greater transparency on questions of debt, because debt creates problems for countries in the future. And this government is moving in the opposite direction. But it's also, it has to be said, uh, a question of economic stability and also protecting your political security. Every government that has governed Gibraltar in a serious and competent way has always understood that your economic stability guarantees your political security. And if you risk one, you also risk another. And we've got some important issues up ahead for Gibraltar, Brexit being one of them. We don't know whether the economy of Greece is going to lead to contagion in yes. the economies of other countries. And to carry public debt of 900 million pounds when you've still got to spend 150 million on a power station and a, and a sewage plant does not appear to me to be um, uh, very, very clever, to say the least. And that is why I object and that is why I think it's very dangerous for the GSLP liberals to be promising everything to everyone yet again at this election because their manifesto is a veritable cut-and-paste job of every single wish list of every single association in Gibraltar.
0: Well, one last question on finance. I'm wondering, how would you respond to Fabian or Mr Picardo's claims that it doesn't matter about the actual amount or the sum of debt that they would be in, even if it were 900 million, like you say? But actually, it matters more about the GDP to debt ratio. What's your um, argument for that?
1: Well, I have to say, I have to laugh. Because when net debt at the last election was uh, £260 million under the GSD, we were saying, well, actually, you've got to look at net debt as a percentage of GDP. Yes. And our net debt was £24 million at the time. Sorry, 24% of GDP. Mr. Picard was saying, no, 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 you don't look at that. You look at gross debt, because our gross debt at the time was £470 million. Mm-hmm. So what he's saying now goes completely against what he was saying in 2011. So unfortunately, it cannot be used to anaesthetise, so to speak, that very contradictory uh, discourse that he gave in 2011, which was, criticising our levels of public debt whilst at the same time promising everything to everyone. But it goes further than that. It goes further than that. Your net debt, which at the moment, as I say, is £418 million, does not take into account the £450 million extra that Mr Picardo is spending by virtue and by courtesy of Savers and the Gibraltar Savings Bank. So he's giving you half the picture. Yes. And that, in my respectful view, is politically dishonest.
0: All right. Well, we've spoken about finance quite a bit. I'd like to move on to education. And Jerome Mascarenas has sent in a question on the Janito Politics Group and he asked how would the GST deal with any potential issues issues of traffic if they were to be building their education facility at Brook?
1: Well, it's very carefully planned. We intend to have uh, three um, uh, points in the Rook site at which we will have car parks and at which people will be able to leave their children and also pick up their children. It'll be far better, it has to be said, than the current situation that we have now with Governors Meadow, Bishop Fitzgerald, and also West Side remember that there are three schools in the same area. So I don't see that as a problem. And um, when we explain our plans and we consult people about it, you will be able to see that actually in terms of traffic, it won't be problematical at all and certainly be much better than the situation that we have today with those three schools.
0: Would you propose a school bus service for that um, specific area?
1: Yes, uh, we are going to be having a school bus service which is going to be uh, uh, supervised. The, the, the bus service, uh, we've got to make a decision here about the bus service as to whether the bus service is, is going to be across the, across the board, uh, in other words, where it's going to deal with everybody all the way up to the ages of, of, of 18, and I think that's probably sensible, or whether the bus, the bus service is going to be directed at more younger younger children, Uh, in your infant and uh, your middle school. But actually whether you deal with either one of those models, it's going to take cars off our roads. Because more more children use a supervised bus service, the more parents will not need to use the buses in the morning. What we'd also like to do is also start school at an earlier point. We have a lot of public servants here in Gibraltar that now come in at 8 o'clock in the morning well if our schools were open as from that day time, then you'd be able to get people to drop off their children at that time, and then at rush hour, at 9 o'clock, traditional rush hour, there's going to be less people within our roads. So there's a number of, of, um, of plans that we have in order to reduce congestion uh, on our roads uh, during, tra- during uh, the school uh, school time.
0: Alright, so another important part of school is learning. And other than refurbishments and relocations, what will the GSD in particular be doing to facilitate the process of learning and um, acquiring skills?
1: Well we have a very comprehensive and a very uh, exciting policy for education. I mean the starting point is going to be that we're going to align our school years to the key stages of the UK education system. Uh, That will mean that the, the, the last year of middle school will then move up to the first year of comprehensive school, and the last year of infant school will move up to the, the first year of middle school. It will then give us um, more places at the very bottom of infant school for your preschool um, children. And that will obviously allow more mothers and more fathers to, basic, to, to access that kind of uh, nursery, uh, uh, nursery uh, schooling which will allow them to to basically continue in their jobs. We also want to make sure as well that girls and boys will be able to have access to the same subjects. Having a secondary education campus, the Rook, will allow us to do that um, because everything is going to be within within, uh, uh, that campus. Uh, At this stage, I'd also like to say in relation to that that we, our plans remain open. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be one school. It can be, for example, a girls' comprehensive, a boys' comprehensive, but with a six-form co-educational college, and you divide each of those parts into three parts. Returning to the question, you yes, asked, yes, or yes. Or yes. The, with the with their own parking spaces and with their own sort of um, uh, pick-up and drop-off points, as far as uh, education and training is concerned. We've got to make sure that people, that children understand, and the parents also understand, that if your child is not academically minded, that it's okay for that child to choose a different path, a different road, a vocational course. Doesn't have to be in traditional um, uh, voc- vocational training courses such as. Your plumbers or your carpenters it can also be in IT, for example, in something that's relevant to the gaming company, to gaming companies. But there is a lot of there are a lot of uh, 14 to 16 year olds, for example, that remain in school despite the fact that they are not academically minded, and we need to be identifying those children at an early juncture and making sure that those children are basically guided in a direction that allows them to acquire the types of skills that will allow them to provide for themselves and their families in the future. Our training courses are very exciting. I mean, you know, we are looking at across the range. One of the things that we want to do when we get elected is to basically sit down with business and to look at what are the skills that they need at the moment, what are the skills that they need in the future, and effectively, Model our training courses on the skills that are necessary within the economy. I mean, and also actually uh, returning to the education uh, system um, we want to also encourage our, uh, our children to do the type of degrees that will that, uh, that will, that will um, get them the kind of qualifications that are needed by industry here. I mean for example, we have a dearth of Gibraltarian quantity surveyors in Gibraltar. There are not many. Well, why don't we offer, which is what we intend to do, top-up grants to uh, young people that want to go to university in order to do those kind of degrees that will then allow them to come here and then have the skills and the qualifications that will allow them to basically uh, thrive in the skills that are needed by the economy.
0: Although I find your education policy very interesting. That doesn't answer the question of, currently students are studying to pass exams. They're not studying because they're passionate about the certain subjects. And I understood what you said about vocational training, but isn't that more of a motivation issue? And what would the GSD be doing to actually make changes in learning? I mean, since the advent of flipped classrooms in the States and many other (laughs) discoveries in psychology when it comes to learning, what will the GSD be doing to implement more of these systems in junction with what currently goes on in the British curriculum to make sure that students are actually motivated to learn learn, and actually are able to find their passion, even if it might not be academic.
1: Right, I understand. Well, one of the things that we want to do is conduct a root and branch review of the educational system. And that is not something that we have just simply uh, plucked out of thin air. It is something that the Gibraltar Teachers Association, the Union for Teachers wants to see done here in Gibraltar and I think that as part of that then that is something which you've identified as something that can be looked at because if it's true that our learning practices are behind learning practices in the United States as you have put it and suggested or the United Kingdom in terms of resource or in terms of the way things are taught yes. then we want to pick that up. Right. And I, mean, I, I do agree that what we cannot do is rest on our laurels. But you see, the, way that the reason why I answered the question the way that I did before, was because we tend to measure success of our education system by exam results. Yes. Of the people that are doing your GCSEs and the people that are doing A-level. But what about those children who leave school prior to the age of 16, who don't, who, Uh, you know, don't come out of school with those qualifications. Surely the success or otherwise of an education system has got to be dealt with, has got to be viewed from the perspective not only of those who succeed at at academia, but those who are not academically minded and hence why we place great stock by our vocational training schemes.
0: So... I understand that you're trying to put more of an emphasis on trying to help um, businesses, everybody, but also the students as well, etc. I remember seeing this quote um, the other day from one of the Google education slides where they said, we should stop asking children what they want to do when they're older, but rather what problems they want to solve when they're old." And I think that ties in slightly with what you're saying. And hopefully that the, the review process of our education system, if you were to get in, hopefully it's done correctly and leads to some benefits. Um, And remember,
1: remember too, that I think what we need to do as well is to have a good career advisory service here in Gibraltar to properly advise students about their possibilities. Yes. I mean, I would have found that particularly useful when I was doing my A-levels. And that is something that we want to include as well within the secondary education campus at the Rook.
0: Well, I guess that ties in with um, helping students find their passions, etc. Well... I got a few questions sent in from other members of Facebook groups, and this will be very short. Um, Jackie Canessa would like to know what the GSD's alternative to community care would entail.
1: We don't have an alternative to community care. I'm totally committed to community care, as I have said, in Parliament and publicly on many occasions.
0: All right, okay. So would you be making any changes to community care? No. No. All right. And let's see. Jay Prakash sent quite a few questions in. I only picked one, and he said, the GSD are of the view that the GSLP have overspent during the last four years in office. They've carried out numerous large projects, such as the new bank, low-cost housing, Um, they've built new schools, helped renovate estates, and they've built homes for the elderly, as well as built the University of Gibraltar, etc. If the GSD were to, come in pow- were to have common power back in 2011, which of these projects would the GSD not have carried out?
1: Well, it's, uh, it's, it's too wide a question for me to now list the projects that we would not have carried out. Um, some of the projects we would have carried out, some of the projects we wouldn't have carried out. Uh, we had a smaller, um, smaller uh, Verse Marina, for example. But what we wouldn't have done is we wouldn't have borrowed in the way that the government is borrowing, which is hidden borrowing using the Gibraltar Savings Bank and credit finance simply because they knew that they couldn't pay for that manifesto, £750 million of promises they made at the last election, in convention in a conventional way. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the borrowing capacity to do that. Just to give you a figure so that you can... Appreciate what I'm saying. In March of 2012, our net debt was £305 million. The legal borrowing limit at the time was £362 million. Yes. So we were very close to the legal borrowing limit there. In the context of a manifesto by the GSLP that promised to donate every last single penny of government surpluses, that's the money that's left over. Spare money from the government to community care, donate it, just just give it away, gift it to community care. It was impossible, impossible to pay for 750 million. That's why they're having to basically raid the money of savers in the Gibraltar Savings Bank. And that is why it's so dangerous, because legal borrowing limits are there to ensure governments borrow in a manner that becomes affordable. That, that, that and, and that ensure that governments don't borrow in a manner that becomes unaffordable. And that is what the government is doing, is basically circumventing those legal borrowing limits.
0: Alright, so I just have one more question for you as we um, cap off. What is your personal ambition for Gibraltar in the future? Well,
1: I want a Gibraltar that lives within its means. I want to make sure that Gibraltar is safe, that Gibraltar is secure. I don't want a Gibraltar that spends so much money, that, that uh, risks uh, so much that we end up in a situation where we are potentially risking that political security that so many generations of Gibraltarians fought so hard in order to protect here in Gibraltar. Any competent government, as I've said, has always understood that economic stability leads to political security. And if you risk one, you risk the, the other. And you know we've got to have an ability to be able to stand up to the United Kingdom, an ability to stand up beyond to to the, to, to Spain too, beyond just having that heart that we all have. We need to have that economic strength. And you see what I want to see is a Gibraltar that is economically strong, a Gibraltar that is politically secure, a Gibraltar that is inclusive, a Gibraltar that is fair to everybody. But that must mean also being honest to people about what Gibraltar can and cannot afford. And I hope that our approach of the selection has ejected that very much needed honesty into a debate about how much we can spend and how much we can afford.
0: Well, thank you for coming on the show, Daniel. I appreciate it, and I hope our listeners appreciated it too.
1: Thank you very much. All right.
0: Well, that interview ran slightly longer than I had expected, but I hope you guys enjoyed it, and if you have any questions, just send them in, and please like our new Gibraltar Politics page on Facebook. Thank you, and happy voting.